first of all, I think that in today's world, if you don't have at the end of your company's mission to like save the world, then um, you're not creating something great enough. And so our mission is to not only create like the world of tomorrow, but beyond our world. Hey everyone, it's Ryan Williams. Welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. Each episode of this podcast, I interview a best-selling author, business leader, or entrepreneur launching the next big thing in media. Really fired up that you're here for this week's episode. And I also want to remind you, if you're listening on iTunes, we'd be grateful if you could please leave an iTunes review. It helps people find the podcast. If you're interested in finding more about the podcast itself, go to influencereconomy.com. Yes, I know that's a long uh, way to spell something, but influencereconomy.com. Sign up for the email list and I'll give you a free workbook, which is a companion to the podcast for 99 actions and lessons to collaborate, to grow your business. Influencereconomy.com. Welcome to episode 120 with Roman Sunder. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode. Really pumped to have Roman Sunder here. He's the founder of two really cool organizations. One is called Patau, one is called Worlds. And we'll dive into that here because he's a shrewd um, relationship builder. And I hate the word relationship. I, I hate the word networking. But there's nothing else to describe what you do because you bring people together and your organizations help. And the goal is to help shape the future of, of culture. And you went to UCLA. You're originally from Russia, moved here when you were five years old. Been in the entrepreneurial video online universe for many years so welcome to the show <laughs> thank you i'm stuck to finally be here i've been really excited about hanging out with you and this is uh definitely something where you know we're we're in west la and in your culver city office and uh you're the founder of patau and my definition of it is you get a lot of these leaders of change in the world and they're able to learn from other masters of titans of, of influence and then go back to their organizations, their towns, their cities and help affect change of culture around that. Is that, is that appropriate to say? Yeah, I, I'd even say that um, I don't believe you know, for what we do that, I, that, an idea, that an idea is good enough. Um, I think that unless you can make something actionable in your personal life or your professional life, then it just doesn't clear the bar with us. So um, 100%. It's about creating the projects, the companies, the partnerships that have never been done before. I call it doing the NBDB to really kind of create the world of tomorrow. So never been done before opportunities? Yeah. And so what is Patau? So it's a private community of only 295 members. Um, to be a member, you have to be a top five company across all 70 or so industries that shape our world from space travel and sports networks to fashion and gaming. Um, and we bring together these CEOs and CMOs and cultural icons ranging from the Dalai Lama to Mike Bloomberg to David Guetta to create the projects and partnerships that kind of create the world that we live in, whether it's the Global Citizen Festival that's just happened to help eliminate global hunger by 2030, whether it's to help Virgin Galactic uh, create their next partner to create the next commercial space flight or help Steve Aoki with his next world tour. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's inspiring. So it's like a, uh, 
a smorgasbord. It's a lot. It's a big menu of items. Yeah, we're like uh, generally pretty good at some stuff, but we're not specialists in any one thing. So uh, it is a smorgasbord. <laughs> and how how do you cultivate something? How many years in the making was it to create Patau? We were just in our tenth year. So uh, which sounds like a long time, but it's how change happens. It's not overnight. Yeah. I always say like our big claim to fame that in 10 years we have 295 members, <laughs> which, which if it's the right it doesn't members, seem like a lot. it's the right members. Yeah. I think that it's taken years for us to develop friendships with the people that are now part of our community. And, um, and it's, uh, it's a, it's a coveted thing for us to be part of their worlds. And you talk about being mission driven in a lot of the work you do. What exactly is your mission? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that in today's world, if you don't have at the end of your company's mission to like save the world, then um, you're not creating something great enough. And so our mission is to not only create like the world of tomorrow, but beyond our world, because within the next five years, we already have interplanetary travel. So I think we're living in an era that's of the most abundant times of the most amount of innovation and opportunity that's ever been experienced to literally this time and this date on earth. And so our mission is to create what tomorrow's version of that is. So kind of the bleeding edge of culture. You're not a small picture guy. You're a a very big vision person. Like, have you always been like a, a big thinker around how to affect change? You know, no, because... uh, That's a good, honest answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not really, but... Because growing up, coming from an immigrant family, you're... um, And you're from Russia originally. Yeah, and I was born in Russia and moved when I was five years old. And uh, when, when sometimes you don't have the success that you want, then you're afraid to dream big. And so you try to dream about things that are attainable. So I was afraid to dream big for a long time because I didn't want to deal with the disappointment of not reaching my dreams. So I'd rather dream of something small and attain it than something big and never get to it. And that thinking completely changed for me when I started Patel. You became, you have to have the bigger vision and then execute on that? Is yeah, that- I did a 180. Uh, okay. And the reason why is because I began to meet and become friends with my heroes whether it was someone like Terry Lundgren, who is the chairman and CEO of like Bloomingdale's and Macy's, or whether it was somebody like the Dalai Lama and his team, or whether it was somebody like a Mike Bloomberg, and I saw the formula for success. And the most important thing that someone even like Terry Lundgren told me, I remember we were at one of our events, and he's like, why are you hanging out with me? I go, well, because you're one of our VIPs, and I want to make sure you're well taken care of. He goes, listen, you have 300 other people to hang out with them. I'm good. I don't need a, you know, I want you to go and go hang out with everybody else. I really appreciate it. But before you go, I want you to think of one thing. I want you to think of your dream. And once you have that dream, make that dream 10 times bigger. And once you can visualize that dream, make that 10 times bigger. And that's the dream that you go after. And so the people that I meet that are like absurdly successful, not just financially, but, you know, spiritually and with their families are those that have like the most audacious dreams. And you could look at them, the one people, obvious people today, like whether it's Elon or whether it's Jeff Bezos or, you know, other... Richard Branson. Yeah, I mean, there really is no, uh, truly no ceiling to their dreams. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how'd you meet the Dalai Lama? 
Uh, just a, a crazy, after our second year of Patel, I wasn't going to do it again because I, I'm not one of those people that can juggle multiple companies. And I was also the founder and CEO of a company called Access 360 and venture back board of directors, successful business. And so I was doing Patel on the side and I couldn't juggle both. Oh, no way. Yeah. Full-time job. 10 years ago, Patel was a side project. Passion project. Oh, cool. No business model, no this is the next thing that's happening, but more like I just wanted to get together people, actually people that are involved in youth culture. Mm-hmm. How can we bring together leaders in youth culture to take responsibility of what's happening in our world? And after our second year, we started having like big names show up. And so I'm like, well, I can't do both. Like These people are going to hate me for giving them like a shitty experience. And so... <laughs> So I decided not to do it's it. It's a good rule of life not to be uh, hated for <laughs> shitty experiences. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the most viable thing you have in people's lives is, you know, the moments you spend with them. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's not what you do, what you say. It's how you make people feel. And so I want people to walk away with great experiences when they interact with great them. Great quote, Maya Angelou. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, she yeah said that's that. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So for me, that's like, um, that was... I couldn't do both. And so I decided to do access, to do, you know, follow the rule book and do the job that my board wanted me to and I kind of let go of my passion project and then I was having lunch at the Ritz Carlton in Laguna and uh, there was a monk at lunch Um, I was invited and there's this monk and um, and there's certain rules that you have when you're kind of speaking to a monk this is already a great story you're (laughs) in Laguna Beach with a monk yeah what could come next yeah um you can't ask questions, and, and but I realized through the lunch that he was the Dalai Lama's personal emissary for peace, like kind of his wow. chief of staff. The gatekeeper. The gatekeeper. Um, and I'm trying to relate it to like what I was thinking because I didn't know what an emissary for peace was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so he, uh, I explained to him what we did at Patel, which didn't exist at this time. Um, and I go, yeah, so the Dalai Lama life loves to speak to universities and uh, students and wouldn't it be great if he actually spoke to the companies that are putting creating the genes and creating the iphones and creating the twitter for those students and he goes hmm, that's an interesting i will meditate on it oh no way yeah what a great response yeah and uh so a month later i'm like hey did you meditate on it <laughs> and he goes i think what you're doing is a good thing i'm like okay that's a nice attaboy did you know he was the emissary for the dalai lama before or during the conversation? During. Okay. Yeah, I found out through my friend. She's like, by the way, this is, you know, he works with his holiness. Wow. Did you get a warm intro, like through a friend? We just were both at this lunch. Okay. It so in, it was the best own. type of intro. So it wasn't an intro. Uh, there's like okay. four of us at this lunch and I'm one of them people and he's one of the people. I know and there's two, a woman named Kelly Smith and then uh, another one of her friends, Nancy, who are both philanthropists that, uh, that work at the Center for Living Peace. And you were having a conversation, get to know each other's friends type of thing. Yeah, she was so generous to think that what we were doing with Patau is something that, you know, spiritually aligned with what Lama Tenzin was, might have been interested in. And so then after the meditation, had you call back on the phone? Yeah. Okay. I called him. He has a phone? He has an iPhone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes... Uh, and he t- texts too. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, Snapchat or... <laughs> No, probably not. Definitely not. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I mean, short story. Did you have a chance to meditate? Yes, I think what you're doing is a good thing. What does that mean? Uh, do you think Dalai Lama is going to come uh, to this Patel thing that doesn't exist? And he says, uh, "Let me speak to this holiness next time I go to Dharmasala." That's <clears throat> in India, or in India. Yeah, it's where the Dalai Lama lives. 
And I, he went there and he came back and I go, did you speak to his holiness? He said, no, his holiness is very busy. (laughs) Go, of course, you know, why would he meditate or consider something that my passion project or I were interested in? And then I was being that guy where I was bugging him Uh and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to follow up with him. So we just kind of exchanged like, how are you? How was your flight? But I never asked him again until from like... September until January again about whether the Dalai Lama would be interested in joining us. And I got a call from him on January 20th and we were just kind of bullshitting for 40, 40 minutes or so, just chit-chatting. And at the end of it, I go, by the way, did you ever, sp-? it's like months have passed. Yeah. By the way, did you yeah. ever speak to the Dalai Lama about it. this thing? I love it. Um, with completely no chance of him right. coming. But you More like, bring it up. did you even say the words Patel yeah. or my name? But you've thought about it. You may as well bring it up. Yeah. It doesn't hurt to ask. Right. Uh, and he says, uh, yes, I did. What did he, th- what did he say? He says, he thinks what you were doing is a good thing. And I literally fell to the ground because wow. at this point I decided to leave access and start a new company and that company failed. And so I was really at like one of the lowest points in my life. Um, and, uh, and it was, uh, so unexpected that I fell to the ground and I go, okay, well, what does that mean? He thinks what we're doing is a good thing. So I said, do you think it makes sense that we reserve the penthouse suite at the Ritz-Carlton for his holiness so that he's comfortable? Because you can't ask the monk a direct question. He says, yes, that's a good idea. And that's when I found out that he was coming to Patel. And what was it? Was it the youth culture element <clears throat> of it? Is that where he was interested? Yes. I think, well, I, I think he liked the spirit of what we were trying to do. You know, I think we led with mission and helping the next generation have a better life. And I think that's what they were uh, really connected to. And that was to. your bigger vision that you presented. Yeah. That was, at that point, an idea. Yeah, Okay, and you do, you had done one smaller event at that two point. smaller two ones, ones prior. So you weren't get some credibility. We definitely had credibility, uh, but it wasn't a it was a passion project. And so I, we have to finish the story here. So yeah. when the Dalai Lama shows up, what's that like to just have that kind of energy? Because people are obviously fired up. They're going yeah. to some event. It's somewhat exclusive. Uh-huh. Like, what was the anticipation like? Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like a whole, because I was at such a low point at the time that even kind of for like a Jewish guy like me, I thought it was cool that the Dalai Lama wanted to support my dream. Yeah. And uh, then it became like a logistical challenge because you start working with the Secret Service. You know, anytime a a diplomat or a head of state is involved in one of these things. So it was the first time I dealt with like the Secret Service and we had to move our summit. It was a lot of logistical complications, uh, which was a huge just learning experience of just doing whatever it takes. For me, my takeaway is none of it intimidated me to move forward because at any point along the line, you could have been like, you know, what am I getting myself into? You know, it's not even a business and we're hosting his holiness. And so I I think it's one of those things you just kind of do whatever it takes to make it happen. It goes to dreaming. If you believe you can do it, then you can do it. If you can't, then it's easy to pull the trigger on why you, I could have come up with a thousand reasons why we can't do it. Well, then was it much easier to get people to come to the event? Yeah, but the good thing is it was an intimate event. There were only... I'd like to meet him, right? I mean, that's yeah. such a great way to dangle a carrot in front of someone. Yeah, it was It was really great. And the best part is really intimate. It was only a few hundred people. And at that time, there were only like 65 Patel members, and we brought in some guests. That's amazing. So, And a lot of kids. We brought in some children. And, and so was that a moment where you felt like, okay, this was just... Like, how'd you feel? Because I can imagine how I would feel. Like, getting that person i felt honored i felt like somebody believed in my imagine like your hero or a mentor believing in your dream yeah and so here you have you know not just the dalai lama but everybody that's really showing up kind of really believing and supporting in this you know huge dream that you have 
that is just an idea. You know, you're really, we're really creators. We're creating something out of nothing that's existed. And you have these people that are like committing their time and passion and energy towards your dream. It's deeply humbling and probably like the biggest motivator for me. How do you stay humble then if people externally are like, wow, that's really cool and impressive and we love your event because you can get this type of person there. Like, how do you stay grounded? Well, the first question people are going to ask, well, how are you going to beat that next year? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Pressure's on. Right. So, and listen, I was just listening to Derek Jeter at this other event, and he's arguably one of the best that's ever played the game. And he goes, listen, I fail 70% of the time, and I'm one of the best. You know, so my world that we live in, like we're working with the top people, like there's daily failures, like daily failures. So it's, it, I don't have to go far to be you humbled. fire drills coming at you. Yeah, I, I've, I get humbled on a daily basis. And, then, <laughs> and by the way, that goes for anyone that's kind of reached a level of success because it's kind of like what you say, the, 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 the bigger you are, the, higher, the, the bigger you are, the harder you fall or the higher you go, the yeah. longer the fall. So I think that you have a lot more at stake when you're more successful. So, yeah. And I can guarantee you that it doesn't come easy for anyone even at the highest levels of success. There's a guy I interviewed for my book, Flula Borg is a YouTuber, and he, he said, unless you're Kanye West, no one cares if you make mistakes. And that couldn't be more appropriate, because Kanye West makes so many mistakes, and people notice. But like, like the old phrase, you're, it's lonely at the top, right? So, so who do you look to for support then? Like, how big is your organization now? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, the, their, our team is just incredible. My co-founder, Jim Sullis, is incredible. And Terry Hardy, my co-founder, Patel, and our, you know, executive team is just really fantastic. And so they inspire me. And like our coordinator, like our team just inspires me on a daily basis. And I really lean on them for like energy and enthusiasm and support all the time. I have a very really tight-knit family. Uh, so I'm really grateful for the support that I have from them. Uh, and honestly, like our members in our community are like my biggest champions and they really fight for me all the time and fight for the community all the time. And so, you know, I think that it's, it's easy to look at what you don't have, but I think if you stop to think, and this goes for anybody and think about what you do have, you know, just being born in America and living above the poverty line, you're already born in the top 5% of like humanity, Yeah, right. you know, and if you actually have a job that you like, you're in the 1% of the yeah, world. Yeah. So if you wake up and you're grateful just being alive and having a job that you like, like think about all that great shit instead of thinking about what you don't have. I think it's easy to think about what you don't have and think about what you do have. And that should be your biggest motivator. And then when you now, what was the turning point when you turned from Patau into Worlds? Which and you, what is Worlds? Yeah, so Worlds was actually created by Patau members, and we create all these great projects. Whether it's Steve Aoki's World Tour, or helping Virgin Galactic, or helping with the Global Citizen Festival. As we all know, it's not the, the C-level executives that are doing the work. The hard work is being done with the teams. Right. Um, and other just inspiring people from all over the world, not just from the United States. So uh, the Patel community is like, hey, we need to create a community for all the C-level execs and their teams. Okay. So World is uniting today's uh, CEOs and CMOs and cultural icons with tomorrow's leaders, managers, directors, VPs, SVPs, to create the world of tomorrow, which is creating all these inspiring projects and companies and collaborations that has the exact same mission of what Patau is. And I think Worlds is like Patau on steroids because okay. everybody from Patau is So then what's, what's the mission then reframed for, for Worlds? It's uniting today's superstars okay. with, to, with the rising stars to create the world of tomorrow. 
And so it's the exact same mission, which is to create the companies, to create the projects, to create the collaborations that have never been done before and create the world of tomorrow. And so at Worlds... And you have some really amazing speakers and... Like who's speaking at this coming one? Oh yeah, it's it's all over the place, uh, which is so inspiring for us. Um, it's really the only place where you have such a breadth of uh, mentors to be yeah. able to, which we call masters and titans. Okay, they're there to give you the tools for success. So it's all over the place. We literally have for um, creativity. Uh, Jesse, the chief creative officer of Samsung. Okay. Um, if you're talking about the future of sports, it's Tony Gonzalez, the future Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're talking about the future of travel, it's Jen Rubio, the founder of Away Travel. If you're talking about the, what's happening um, in, to, in interplanetary space travel, we have Terry Virts, one of the top astronauts. Uh, that worked for NASA and advises on so many projects. So literally across the board, um, it's just such an inspiring group. One of my favorites is Jim Quick. Yeah. He's uh, Elon Musk's brain coach, uh-huh. uh, which is a little bit of a meltdown right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he needs more coaching. Yeah, but uh, you know he's undoubtedly kind of the the greatest innovator of our time. And Jim Quick is going to give the tools on how we could all be bigger thinkers and better doers. And right now people are looking for life hacks. How can I be faster, smarter, jump higher? And so how do you market this then to people? Because you, you're, you're supplying like all these visionaries have stories to tell and actions and lessons for people. And then there's a demand for people that want to attend. So how do you meet that demand of both sides where you get the great speakers and the people to come? That's the challenge, right? It's the, what's the chicken or the egg? How do you convince the chicken to lay the egg and come from the, you know, there's always a lot of ways to find, I think I said that backwards, but you, how do you do both? Yeah. I mean, for us, because it's mission driven, a big part of worlds is it's kind of like an academy for culture, like the business of culture. So all of our kind of masters and speakers, they want to be there to be able to share their wisdom to the next generation of leaders. So they're there for that mission. And so I think that helps a lot. And that's where it's really grounded. And for the people to attend, honestly, you know, we're winning hearts and minds. Most people don't know about worlds yet. Yeah, yeah. And the people that have experienced it, um, you know, always come back and they're so uh, and it's a year-round community, so we actually have... Yeah, why, why the membership? Why the year-round aspect? Well, because if you go to an event, it's a kind of a shitty experience oftentimes. Number one, it's like you already know what people are talking about. Two, you might never see those people again. Um, and three, people are just self-promotional. Yeah. You know, with us, we kind of do the opposite. So one, we want you to be part of a 10-year journey. So that's why the first year was chapter one, the maiden voyage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second year is chapter two, losing sight of the shore as we let go of the known and the familiar and get out of our, out of our comfort zone. And this year is chapter three, year three, chasing true north as we try to find our true purpose in our life and in our work. By being part of that, you're on a journey together to get together to find your best business friends over the course of 10 years. Yeah. You know, so right there it's different. So that's a 10-year arc. But then we have 15-year-round events so that you can actually build bonds yeah, with people, people instead of sprinting over the like a crazy person over three days trying to network. You know, this way you can really network with people even if you miss them at, at the at worlds. And so for me and our team. It's more of that mission of building community than building a business. You know, we want to build a community to serve our members, to be able to, our, our mission that you asked is to help each one of our members reach and exceed their own dreams. What, uh, where can we find you online and more information about your events and your community? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're two weeks uh, away from Worlds. And so you could find out more on Worlds at uh, worlds with a Z dot U.S. 
and uh, we're going to be sold out. And so I would definitely want, we have room now. We want everybody to sign up. And you apply to go or you sign up or both? No, the great thing is like we want to discover tomorrow's rising stars, tomorrow's leaders from all over the world. And so we want anyone that wants to have the tools, how to be better at their lives and at their jobs. How do I get a raise? How do I get a promotion? How do I start a new company? How do I, how do I be more efficient? How do I be great? We want them to come in the world so we can give them the tools. I mean, that's kind of my life's mission. Awesome. So it's WRLDZ.com. Dot US. Dot US. And then what about you on social media or Instagram? Sure. I'm, I'm Roman Sunder on Facebook, on Instagram, um, on LinkedIn. Cool. We'll, yeah. Hit we'll, me uh, up. We'll hit him up. We'll put all this in the show notes as well. Roman Sunder, thank you for coming on. You're the first Russian immigrant. Jewish guy. Jewish guy who lived in LA to come on the show. So thank Oh, really? You. Yeah. Right. <laughs> awesome. 115 episodes later. All right. Thanks, my friend. Hey, y'all. It's Ryan Williams here again. Really pumped that you're back on the podcast, Train With Me. I've uh, been taking a hiatus, but I'm going to be relaunching, rebranding the show very soon. So stick around for that. Want to just say thank you for listening. And if you could leave an iTunes review, I would be very fired up because it helps people find the podcast in iTunes. Also, InfluencerEconomy.com is where all the archives are. From Seth Godin to Dan Ariely to Brad Feld to Francesca Ramsey to Jamel Hill. All the archives are there. And excited to say that I'm also publishing my book into the Korean language. It's coming out in March of next year, 2019. So I'll have more information about uh, going to Asia for a tour If you want to collaborate, you live in Japan, China, or Korea, I'll be doing events for entrepreneurs, workshops for companies to help everyone tell better stories like a badass to grow influence through collaboration. So that's all for me. Talk to you next episode. Thanks so much.